Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the letter to the Romans. Last week we began a new series in Romans, one of the greatest books in the Bible. And you know what, what we like to do here at Whitefield is we like to study through books of the Bible. We like to go through passages verse by verse and, and chapter by chapter. And when that happens, one of the benefits to that is that it actually causes us, it forces us to sometimes look at sections of the Bible that we might, if it was just up to us, we might skip over them. We might be like, ah, oh, that's not my favorite, so I'm just going to skip on to the stuff that I, I really like to talk about. But when we do that, actually what we find is that it's very profitable for us. It's very good for us to do that because it causes us to, and I think today's one of those texts, so I'm excited about getting into that this morning with you. Let's read together from Paul's letter to the Romans, our text as we begin. Uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word this morning with humble hearts, Lord, with wanting to hear from you and wanting to receive from you. And Lord, I pray that this morning truly that would happen, that we would hear your words, that we'd receive them. And Lord, that they would cause our hearts to rejoice. We pray that as we look at these words, that we would see in them why the gospel is such a treasure, why it is so great, why it is so good. And Lord, may the end of this be that we love you more and we cling to the gospel even more. We trust in it more. We rely on it more. And we we are so more thankful for it than we've ever been before. Lord, would you reveal to us the meaning of this text for uh, not only in general, but for our lives in particular. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, last week we started a new series looking at one of the greatest books in the Bible, the letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. Last week I made you a promise, and that promise was that if you stick with us through the book of Romans, it will change your life. I stick by that promise. If you stick with us through Romans, it will change your life. Romans will change the way you think, the way you feel. It will change your life. Today I'm going to make you another promise. I'm not going to do this every week, but we're going to just give you a couple promises, okay, here at the beginning. I'm going to give you a promise. Today we're beginning a a new section in the book. It just goes from here in chapter 1 all the way through almost the end of chapter three this section it's two chapters long and here's what I want to tell you if you will really take this section to heart here's my promise to you as a result of it you will love God more 
That's my promise. If you will take this section to heart, it will cause you to love God more. I'm going to talk about why that is in just a second. But last week we began our study of Romans by looking at the introduction to the book and the letter. And and by the way, if you missed that, you can always go online, whitefieldschurch.com. You can find all of our messages online. You can listen to them, download them for free, and you can share them with other people. So if you hear something that was helpful for you and you think that it might be helpful for somebody else, we'd love for you to share that with them. So go back and listen to that podcast on the website and everything. But in the introduction, here's what we looked at last week. Paul introduced us to the gospel. He said, okay, what is the gospel and how do we receive the gospel? That's what we talked about last week. What is the gospel and how do we receive the gospel? But now today, starting in verse 18, we begin, like I said, a longer section in which Paul is going to explain to us why we need the gospel how the gospel works and why we need the gospel. The first thing he does is starting in verse 18, he begins to explain to us why we desperately, desperately need the gospel. See, that's the first thing that Paul wants to show us in this section is that the gospel is not just a nicety, it's not just a nice thing to have, but it's an absolute necessity. The gospel is not just a nicety, it's a necessity. John Stott put it this way. He said, nothing keeps people away from Christ more than their inability to see their need of him or their unwillingness to admit their need of him. In other words, if you don't understand that you need to be saved from something, then a message of salvation isn't going to do anything for you. It's not going to move you. It's not going to captivate you. It won't mean anything to you. See, if I showed up on your doorstep at dinner time and I said to you, hey, good news, I'm here to save you. Let's go follow me. You'd be like, oh, I'm kind of in the middle of some stuff right now, you know, and I'm busy and I don't really feel like I need saving, but hey, that's nice of you to offer and all that, I get that, but I'm going to pass, right? Like if you don't see why you need to be saved, then the message of salvation means nothing to you. But if you say, you know, for example, if you say to somebody, uh, hey, Jesus saves, like I think this is where a lot of people in our society today, especially here where we live, are at. If you say to them, hey, Jesus saves, they're going to say, from what? Like, like, what does he save me from? Because I don't feel like I need saving. I feel like I'm doing pretty fine. Like, things are good. And, and maybe there are some people who need that, you know, like homeless people and people in jail and, and drug addicts. But, hey, look, I pay my bills and I mow my lawn and I get my kids to school on time. I, I feel like I'm doing pretty well. I'm a pretty good person and things are doing fine. I don't really feel like I need to be saved from anything. If I say to you, hey, Jesus died for you. Well, unless I give you some context for why that matters, it doesn't mean anything to you. It, it's, it's not going to mean anything. It's not going to move you. So, for, for example, if you and me are standing out by the train tracks here in Longmont, and, and there's a, a train approaching, and I say to you, let me show you how much I love you. And I cast myself in front of the train and die. You would be like, what was that? Why did he do that? Like, that was completely unnecessary. How does that show me that you love me? I, I don't even understand this. But here's the deal. If instead you were stuck on the tracks, you were caught in the tracks, and that train is approaching, and at cost of my life, at, at risk of my life, at cost of my life, I jump in there, and I free you from the tracks, and I then die, you know what you would say? You would say, truly, he loved me. Truly, he loved me. And by no means would you consider that a pointless, meaningless thing. By no means would you misunderstand that. Rather, you would see that as the greatest act of love that anyone had ever done for you. So in other words, like this, if I tell you, hey, I paid all your debts. Well, the amount of debt that you have 
is going to determine how you feel about that, right? Like if you, you only owe $10 on your credit card and I pay that for you, you're going to be like, oh, hey, thanks for the $10, right? But, but if you owe a large amount that you will never be able to pay and the consequence for you not being able to pay it is that it's going to be very severe and very grave, then it will be much more meaningful for you if someone comes and pays your debt for you, right? So the purpose of this section, starting in verse 18 and going all the way to chapter 3, verse 20 the purpose of this section is to show you that you have a debt before God which is much greater than you've ever realized, much greater than you've ever thought. It's a debt which you cannot pay, and your inability to pay it is absolutely crushing you and will ultimately destroy you. The purpose of this section is to show you why you need the gospel. See, Jesus said this. He laid out this principle. It's a very simple principle. It's very easy to understand. He said, a person who has forgiven much loves much. In other words, the more you're forgiven, the more you love. The person who has forgiven much loves much. And so here's my promise to you. If you will take this section to heart, the result will be that you will love God more as a result when we're done. Because you'll see just how much he's forgiven you. You'll see why the gospel is such good news as it really is. So in this section, we're going to be looking at this. Why the gospel is not just a nice thing to have. Not just a nice thing to add on to your life. A bonus but it's an absolute necessity. And here's why. Because verse 18 says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God, let me tell you what, that's not like the most popular thing to talk about. If I'm a preacher and I want to be popular and I want you to like me and I want you to, you know, be stoked on what I'm saying, probably the wrath of God isn't the best topic to talk about. Our society loves to talk about the love of God, and rightly so. We should love to talk about the love of God, and that's absolutely right. That's what the Bible's about, because as the Bible says, God is love. He's the epitome of love. He's the embodiment of love. The reason that we can even love anyone at all is because he first loved us. But the other thing is that we must remember that's one attribute of God. There are others. God is holy. God is just. And just as God is passionate in his love, he's also passionate about holiness. He's also passionate about justice. And so we have this perfect God who looks down on the world. He looks down on people he loves. And he sees acts of injustice being done against them. He sees acts of injustice being done by them. And he sees people hurting each other. He sees things happening that are not right, that shouldn't be. And just as he is passionate in his love, he's also passionate in his justice, in his sense of holiness, in his sense of rightness. See, the wrath of God is the fair and right sense of anger that God feels about things that are not okay. God looks at them and, and he's not passionless, right? He's not just detached emotionally and says, oh, well, I guess that happened and that's bad. No, he's, he's not emotionally detached. He's absolutely emotionally invested. And so it says that God is, is passionate. And we read this word wrath. We read the word anger. And a lot of times, you know, people will object to that. They'll object to the idea of a God who feels anger, a God who feels wrath. And here's why. Because oftentimes we, we only think in terms of what we feel, right? And so oftentimes we equate that with what God feels. So if, if God feels angry, well, that must be sometimes like when I feel angry. See, but our human anger is very different than the anger that God feels. You know why? Because our anger is almost always sinful in nature. It's almost always sinful. It's almost always related to insecurity. It's one of the greatest causes of anger, if you really think about it, is insecurity. Another cause of anger is uh, the desire for revenge. Or another cause of anger might be selfishness. But see, we, we sometimes talk about, oh, well, you know, I feel a sense of righteous indignation. But if we're really honest with ourselves... How often is our anger really righteous? Isn't it most of the time 
brought on by insecurity, selfishness, a desire for revenge or, or something like that. See, God's anger is not like our anger. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. God's anger is absolutely fair. It's absolutely righteous. And God has never been angry at anyone or anything without just cause, without good reason. And also, I'll add this, he's never been angry at anyone without fully exhausting his patience and mercy. And so when it says that God is angry, we should take that seriously. We should really take that seriously. And this brings about two questions. Number one, why is the wrath of God being revealed? And number two, how is the wrath of God being revealed? So why is the wrath of God being revealed? And how is the wrath of God being revealed? Let's begin with the first one. Why is the wrath of God being revealed? It's told us in our text. Why is God upset? Well, here's why. Because of all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. If you are a person who writes in your Bible, why don't you circle that word all? That's going to be really important today. And you can underline the words ungodliness and unrighteousness because those three words, everything else that comes in this chapter after that is just an explanation of those three words. All, ungodliness, and unrighteousness. And let me say this before we go on. This is exactly what Jesus came to do. See, the the judgment of God is being revealed. God's righteous judgment is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's what we need to be saved from, from the judgment of God that is coming. But let me just say this right now. That is exactly what Jesus came to do. That is the gospel, right? That Jesus hung on a cross. He took the punishment that we deserved. He took the wrath of God. It was laid upon him. I deserved it, but it fell upon Jesus, And that is why I find redemption. That is how I find redemption. It's the only hope that I have. See, that's the good news. That's the incredible news. That's the overwhelming news of the gospel. So again, why is God's judgment coming? Because of all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Let me explain those two words. Ungodliness refers to our sins against God. Unrighteousness refers to our sins against other people. Jesus said, if you take the whole law, right, all 613 commandments from the Old Testament, if you boil them down, they really fall into two basic categories, two fundamental things that God requires of all of us. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you fail to do that, it's called ungodliness. And they said the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we fail to do that, That's called unrighteousness. And so these are the two categories. If you think about it, all of our sins fall into these two categories. Sins against God and sins against other people. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we have fallen short in these two areas again and again and again throughout our lives. We haven't always honored God as he deserves. And we haven't always treated people as we treat ourselves or wish that other people would treat us. And so as a result, it says that God is upset. He's rightly upset. Because, see, the thing is, he doesn't only love you, he loves other people too. And and there's a sense in which he is God and he deserves glory and honor. And because of these things, ungodliness and unrighteousness, his wrath is being revealed and his judgment is coming. Now, Paul anticipates 
the question, the opposition that somebody might, might object with and say, well, what about the people who don't know any better? What about the people who don't know any better? Or what about the people who've never read the Bible? Maybe you've wondered the same thing yourself. How can God hold people to a standard if they don't know about the standard? If they don't know any better, how can God do that? Is that even fair? And the answer he gives us in the text here, he says, starting in verse 18, he says, the answer is this, everyone knows better. Everyone knows better. There isn't anyone in the world who doesn't know better. In verse 18, he says, The issue isn't that people lack knowledge of God. The issue is that people suppress the knowledge that they have of God, that we all innately have within us. He says, well, how do you know what they do? He says, verse 19, Because what can be known about God, God has made it plain to them. Why? It says why? Because God has shown it to them. Do you realize that? God has shown himself to people. How, how has he done that? How has God revealed himself to all humanity? It says that in the end of verse 20. He says that because of that, they're without excuse. But how has God done that? It says in verse 20, he has done it in the things that have been made since the creation of the world. So if I were to tell you, for example, that at some point somebody designed this building and built this building, you would probably not have a very hard time believing that because even though that you weren't there for it even though you didn't watch it happen even though you didn't see it and it happened a long time ago we all know that buildings don't just come into being on their own right we know that a complex structure uh, like a building like this it doesn't just come into existence on its own like when there's a tornado or an earthquake it doesn't cause order it causes destruction and chaos in other words you know random happenings don't create ordered, structured buildings like this. It takes an intelligent designer. It takes builders to take raw elements and create order out of them and construct something useful out of them. But, but not only can you look at this building and know that someone designed it and someone built it, but there are several things that you can know about, that you can discern about the designers and the builders of this building just by looking at the building itself. So for example, you can know, first of all, that they, were, they must have been pretty smart and they must have been pretty skilled because they built this many years ago and yet the roof isn't collapsing on us. It's still standing and you can know that they must have had some sense of art to them, right? There's some sense of artistry because there is a degree of beauty to it. And in the same way, there are certain things that every human being innately, intuitively knows about God. That's why it says in verse 20, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. In other words, you can't know everything about God just by looking at nature, but you can know some things, a few things. Specifically, you can know about his power and his nature. That's what it says. So you can, when you look out the window at night and you see the, the sky full of stars, you realize there's an intelligent God. There's a powerful God who is out there and created all of this. He's very big. When you cut your finger and your body heals itself, you realize that there must have been an intelligent God who made your body and designed it to work in a certain way. See, all of us have what's called a God consciousness. We have a God consciousness, which means that intuitively, innately, we all know that there's a designer, that there's a creator, and we all have this built-in sense of right and wrong. There are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. Now, we can argue and debate over what things are right and what things are wrong, but at the end of the day, everybody has a sense that there are indeed certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. We all have an innate sense of morality. 
And, and so you can look at the sun, you can look at the rain, you can see the things that, that it causes things to grow that we can eat. There's this complex ecosystem that we live in and we need in order to survive. You can look through a high-powered microscope, you can see a strand of DNA and the code in there and you can see amazing precision and complexity. Everywhere you look, you can't help but, but see the evidence of a designer and a creator. You can't miss it unless you're trying to. See, that's really the key. You can't miss it unless you're trying to. And that's just it. That's the real issue here that the text is getting at. It isn't that we lack the knowledge of God. You see, you have to work your butt off to be an atheist. Like, if you want to be an atheist, that is some hard work. Right, Because you have to go against every natural inclination that you have. Something that's written so deeply on your heart. You have to get in there and, and convince yourself and educate yourself and work at it. It doesn't come naturally. In fact, it goes completely against our nature. And it takes a lot of work. You see, because to be an atheist, you have to work super hard to get rid of that thing which is written so deeply inside of every human being that there is indeed a creator and a designer and there is a moral code. We know that there are things that are right and things that are wrong and that there needs to be justice. And yet some people suppress that. But now you ask yourself, why would anybody want to do that? If it's so much work, if it's so much difficulty, why would anybody go through all that difficulty to do something like that? And it tells us that reason. It says that they did not want to acknowledge God. People don't want to acknowledge God, and here's why. Because if you acknowledge God, then there's implications to that for your life and for, for how you live and how you think. You have to submit to God. If he created you, if he's the Lord, you have to submit to him, and you have to honor him as God. And, and so many of us push against that, reject that, and so we suppress the truth that we in, intuitively, innately know. We suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. And verse 21 says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And verse 23 says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for material things. In other words, it's not a knowledge problem. It's a heart problem. It's not that we have a knowledge problem. It's that we have a heart problem. It's possible to be a great theologian and be able to argue, you know, the idiosyncrasies of dogmas and things like that. It's possible to know the Bible backwards and forwards and still be far from God. You see, it's not a knowledge issue. It's a heart issue. That's what it's saying. And so that's our, our first question is, why is the wrath of God being revealed? And here's why. Because of all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Although they know God, they don't honor him as God. The other question is then, well, how? How is the wrath of God being revealed? How does it, how is that revealed? Notice what it says in verse 21. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. And check out what happens next. And because of that, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish uh, hearts were darkened. Here's what happens. You could call it the dimmer switch principle. In other words, if, if you obey the light that you are given, the light that God gives you, the dimmer switch gets turned up. You get more and more. But when you ignore the light that you have, the light that's been given to you, the dimmer switch gets da turned down in incrementally, going down and down and down. And the more you ignore it, the more you reject it, the darker and darker it becomes. Notice what it says in verse 34. It says, therefore. Therefore, always circle those words. Therefore. It's saying, because of this, now this is what has happened, or this is what is happening, or this is what should happen. It says, verse 24, therefore, because people ignored the light that they had been given, Therefore, God gave them up. This phrase, God gave them up, is repeated three times in verses 24, 26, and 28. Three times, so it's pretty important. Verse 24, God gave them up to their lusts. Verse 26, God gave them up to their passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. What did God give them? He gave them exactly what they wanted. See, and that is the thing 
that we must see. It's the scary thing. It's the sobering thing. God gave them exactly what they wanted. See, God's judgment on wickedness and godlessness, God's judgment is revealed in that he gives us exactly what we want. That's the worst thing that we can get is to get what we want. See, that's how God's wrath is revealed. He gives us what we want. In other words, if you push God away and you say, I will not have you reign over me, if we choose to pursue and worship other things, eventually God will say, okay. In other words, if you want nothing to do with God, eventually your wish will be granted. The wrath of God, in other words, is abandonment. It's abandonment. And that's the worst thing that can ever happen to any of us, for God to stop striving with you, for God to stop pursuing you, and to just let you go. You see, in the book of Acts, you read the story of how the, uh, the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, how he became a Christian. We read that story. See, he wasn't always a Christian. There was a time in his life when he was determinedly not a Christian. He was opposed to Christianity, and he was actively trying to shut down Christianity. And it says that one day he was going down the road, and Jesus appeared to him in a vision, in this miraculous light. Jesus appeared to him. And see, here's the thing. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. He didn't want to meet Jesus, but Jesus came looking for him. That's the glorious thing. That's the grace of God. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul. See, that's how, that's how he used to be called. That's his Jewish name, Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, it, why do you persecute me? He said, Saul, and he said this phrase, it's hard for you, isn't it? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What's he saying? So a goad is a sharp stick, or sometimes it's a, it's a bunch of sticks that are held together, tied together, and they're sharp, and they're pointy. And what they were used for was if you had oxen, if you were a rancher, and you wanted to herd your oxen and get them moving in a certain direction, you'd kind of stab them with these sharp sticks, and it'd be uncomfortable. You know, it wouldn't injure them, but it'd just be uncomfortable to get them moving in the right direction. So they'd poke them with that stick to get them going in the way that they wanted them to go. And what God is saying is this. He's saying, Saul, that's what I've been doing with you. You've been feeling it. I've been prodding you. I've been poking you. I've been moving you in a certain direction. You've been resisting me. You've been pushing against me. I've been trying to move you towards Jesus, and you've been fighting me. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.